Welcome to episode 229 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I'm your host, Canada. It's Sunday morning. It's New York City. It is a beautiful, beautiful day out. Uh, it's the kind of day where the last thing you should do is be inside playing any pinball. But we'll talk a little bit about pinball. I'm going to air an interview on this episode where I talk to a listener of the show, um, Scott, about pinball and marketing and Scott works in marketing so we want to have a little discussion and we're it's, it's a fun interview we're going to go down and talk about um, what's going on in the pinball world from a marketing perspective and some advice we would give to every pinball manufacturer out there um, if we were to give them um, some free marketing advice but before that let's talk a little bit about some news going on in the pinball world and then I'm going to read some of your emails and then I'll air the interview. So this, this, this should be a little bit like an hour, 20 minute podcast. So I hope you have that much time to dedicate to Canada. All right, let's talk about pinball news. So I think the thing that was blowing up sort of at the end of the week was highway pinball. And there are a couple developments that have a lot of people really nervous that the highway pinball uh, the ship is about to sink, and and I don't think it's quite there yet. I mean, we've been we've been saying this company is going to fail, and they are going to fail. It it is, it is just a matter of when, not a question of if. Like there is just no way this company is going to survive. But you know, as we've seen in the pinball world, uh, the amount of time it takes for a pinball company to die is unnaturally long. Right? Pinball companies can survive for years without making anything happen. And I think it's just pinball that does that. Um, but here's, here's what's happened. Cointaker, the main distributor for uh, highway pinball in America, has decided to no longer take orders on Alien Pinball. They, they have stopped taking any money on the games. They also are not going to pay highway pinball any more money for games that were ordered. And I and I called up Chris at Cointaker just to get some clarification on, on what was going on. And here's what he told me. And, and Chris is a great guy. Chris and Melissa are awesome. Um, Cointaker is a great distributor. And, and for you guys out there, you should always buy from a distributor because your money will never be in jeopardy if you gave it to a distributor. When you give your money to a manufacturer, uh, then you're in real trouble if you want to get a refund. But so here's what Chris told me. He said, look, the problem is this. We have had nothing but issues with Alien Pinball Machines, and the company themselves has been pretty, uh, how, how do I say this? Highway Pinball has been very slow to give us any sort of manual or assistance in helping us fix games of, con of consumers. So uh, Cointaker actually had a buyback a couple alien pinball machines from customers because they were having so many mechanical issues. And think about it if you're in their shoes. If you're a distributor, the last thing you want to be doing is selling people a product that is having nothing but uh, issues and quality problems and then and you can't help them fix it, right? This isn't like Stern Pinball where Stern will immediately help you get what you need to get your game running again. Okay, so they've said, you know what? I can't, we can't sell 
damaged goods. We can't sell a game that's a ticking time bomb. Uh, And because of that, and because of Highway's ultra slow response to getting them uh, help with, with, with customer games that have gone down, they've said, we're done. We're not selling these games anymore. It's not worth it. It's a headache. And so that is a huge blow to the future of Highway Pinball. The other huge blow is that Helmet, the quality control guy over there, he's left the company. And he was the one guy that was always constantly helping people out and getting back to people. He was like the only only one responding. You know, the highway owners over there, the, the you know, the dream team that, that assembled themselves and, 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 you know, they were all these amazing businessmen. They don't talk to anybody. They don't respond. They're not on the forums. They're not emailing owners. They literally have everyone completely in the dark about what is going on over there. And for those of you out there who really thought you were very, very close to getting your Alien LE pinball machine, I think now you probably feel like you're just as far away today as you were a year ago when Andrew Highway was still promising LEs were going to go out in two weeks, all right? So the future for Highway Pinball, we all know it. We all know which direction this company's going in, and it's not north. It's the opposite of that. Uh, it, and, and it's just, you know, I look, I, I've said it before. I don't want people to lose money. But I also don't want these companies to stick around forever and, and make crappy products. And that's the thing is this, is it's a crap, it, it, the product is not working well. It is not working well. And I, I really think they need to just stop trying to make Andrew Highway's game and, and stop the production line and re-engineer the thing to work, work well. I mean, that, that is the only way out for this company. They can't keep shipping games that are breaking, all right? So we'll see. I still predict that this company not going to make it into 2019. I mean, I would, I would be shocked if I see them turn the corner. All right. Some other pinball news out there. So um, did you read that people are actually paying $1,000 or more over MSRP for total nuclear annihilation, uh, they are basically buying other people's spots in line to get the game sooner. I think that's pretty awesome. I, I always love it when, when, when a game is so popular that people are willing to pay more than MSRP to get it faster. All right. I think that's, that's another great feather in the cap for Scott Denisi that people are, 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 are valuing his game even more than Spooky Price did at. Speaking of, I'll jump to this one. So I had a laugh that Zach over at Straight Down the Middle Pinball is selling his Houdini for $8,200. And I was kind of like, wait, what? Like the game is used, $8,200. The game new is $7,000. And I don't think there's $1,200 in upgrades on this machine. I, I know that Houdini's backlog, so if you want it now, you can get it now. And he's got stuff like Penn Stadium lights in it and PDI glass and whatnot. I also just kind of found it funny that, the, you know, these guys were all in on Houdini. Houdini's so great. I love when I see that, right, where people are like, this game's amazing. It's it's incredible. I love Houdini. I love it. I love it. I love it. And it's for sale, like, in two weeks. Like, you know, game's awesome. Uh, it, time to move on from it, right? And I don't know, like, what does that say? They haven't had the game that long. Why are they, why are they, getting, why are they parting ways with Houdini so quickly? I mean, maybe these, these guys do go through a lot of games because they're, they, they're really into pinball. They have their show. I love them. Um, I love Greg and Zach. Um, but I don't know. I always kind of find it funny when people are like, 
less than 200 plays, you know, and now I got to get rid of it. And it's sort of not always the best way to sell your game. But uh, Houdini is up for sale. If you're really looking for one tomorrow, uh, there's one for sale from Zach. All right. All right. What else is going on? So Deep Root says that they have first dibs on Harry Potter from Warner Brothers if the pinball machine is going to be made. Apparently, there was a memo that was sent to me by Robert Mueller uh, that I apparently didn't get. <laughs> Robert talked to me about licensing, um, said I didn't know what I was talking about, uh, but it seems that he's got first dibs on Harry Potter. I'm not exactly sure why Warner Brothers or Universal, who has the rights to Harry Potter, would give first dibs of one of the most or you know one of the biggest franchises in the history of franchises gives first dibs to a pinball manufacturer that hasn't actually made one game yet so i don't know how that worked out uh, i can tell that robert like probably needs to start showing something i think it's at the point now where he jumps into a thread he said this inside the jersey jack pinball pirates of the caribbean thread and immediately got 15 down votes so my advice for Robert, and we're going to give Robert some advice on, on, on this episode when we talk about the different manufacturers, but I think Robert is going to realize that TPF is going to come up sooner than he expects. And for him to start getting goodwill going, here's what I would do, Robert. I know you listen to this podcast. Show us. I challenge you to show us something that you have fixed in Magic Girl, okay? About 14 to 1,500 people listen to this podcast. They talk about this podcast. I challenge you to show me that you have fixed something on John Papaduke's game that wasn't working uh, when it shipped from American Pinball. So have you fixed the center mechanism? You know, that big automatron, have you fixed that? Have you fixed the levitating ball chamber, the king's chamber? Show me something that you fixed. Have you added a ball lock to Magic Girl? Uh, because I think it's at the point now where you're less than a year away from your big reveal, but at least show us a work in progress. Something, something that you're going, that's going on. And here's the thing, because Magic Girl, we've already seen it. So I want to see like what you guys have done. I want to see some real progress because uh, all that big talk, so just back it up with a little bit, all right? Nothing big. Just show us. That's it. Canada challenges Robert Mueller to show us one thing on Magic Girl that is now working that wasn't previously working as a sign that Deep Root Pinball can actually do what they say they're going to do. So Robert, will you accept that challenge? Let's see. I'll give you a month. I'll give you a month. Surely... Surely you can sit John down long enough to figure out what the hell he was trying to do with Magic Girl. All right? All right. Let's see. So Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden hype. I, I don't think I've seen anything like it. I really don't. I've never seen a game get so much universal praise and accolades. And, and this is from people who are playing it. Right? It's, it, this isn't just like, this isn't an art contest anymore. I really, I, you know, and Zombie Yeti, it's, it, isn't it amazing how we're now used to incredible artwork like Zombie Yeti? I, I think we're sort of becoming almost a little desensitized to the art packages, like cool, 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 but the game still needs to shoot amazingly well. And all I keep seeing from people is how much they love the way Keith Elwin's game shoots. And I, and I think we have to just say Stern has a home run on their hands, a home run. I mean, I haven't heard anyone who's played the game who's like, it's not good. And here's the thing too. It's not just like the rewarding nature of the shots that I keep hearing about. I keep hearing the code is great. And I keep hearing that 
even if you're not an Iron Maiden fan, what makes the game fun and addictive is, is the pinball experience. All right, there's one person who's not an Iron Maiden fan and they won't shut up about it, and that's our good friend Oric. He just keeps going into the thread and reminding people, almost on a daily basis, that he is not a fan of Iron Maiden music. And we get it. And he keeps saying it again and again and again and again and again. So, you know, hopefully we'll hear him say it some more this week because it never gets old. Um, but what I do know is this. A uh, couple things. One is the artwork is approved. So they are taking photos of the LE and the LE should be going on the line probably any day now. Uh, so we are probably going to see the LE premium art packages this week, which I think everyone is waiting for. We have never seen such a delay in getting that. The other thing I think that <laughs> is absolutely stupid is people who say they're going to get this pinball machine and change the music using like pen browser to another band's music. I Just for the record, I think if you take a music pin and you swap that band's music for another band's music, that is the dumbest thing you could possibly do. That is like that is like me taking a Dodge Challenger and putting Ford badges on it. It, it is the equivalent of that. It is so stupid. Leave it as Iron Maiden. If you really don't like Iron Maiden, then don't get it. All right. Okay, let's go on. So Pirates of the Caribbean, the spinning disc gate fiasco continues to go on. I think people will get over it. I do. I gave you my reasons why I, I got a refund on Pirates of the Caribbean Collector's Edition. I also just think like in general, the Collector's Edition packages are kind of ridiculously overpriced. I don't think anyone feels like, yeah, like it's worth it. And I also just don't think that Davy Jones art package it, 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 I don't want to look at that squid guy's face. I kind of, I just wish Jack would have made the Black Pearl edition be the collector's edition. Uh, I think for those of you out there who who love this game, who like from the, you know, this this change is not going to destroy it for you. Um, but I do think it's a big it's a big deal, and I do. I think some people who are saying it's not a big deal, I think they're wrong. I think they have to go back. If you go back and watch the way they marketed this game. The removal of those discs is a huge deal. It was a huge feature and it was a huge selling point. Um, and look, I gave Eric some advice and, and I just think they have to be more careful, Jersey Jack Pinball, in how they position stuff. You're, you don't want the one piece of content up there to be your designer bummed out, like making, you know, sort of like deflated. Like, again, like you have to, you have to present this stuff in a better way. But where's Jack in all this? So I heard Jack is in, he's in Europe. And what I keep hearing is like Jack is desperately trying to get more sales going uh, on the European front and get his distribution channels built up more because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm starting to hear those rumors again that like not all is financially super duper over at Jersey Jack Pinball. But I think it's always been that way. I, I don't think Jersey Jack has really like made money on like any of these games. I, I think that without this billionaire investor, uh, the things can't be going so well over at Jersey Jack Pinball. And, you know, any day, any day that guy could just decide he's, he's done with it. And what makes me sad is that Jack should make money on every game. Like Jack's games are so much, uh, you know, there's so much more than what everyone else is doing. Uh, but again, as you'll hear in this podcast, I just think from a marketing standpoint, that's where he gets it all wrong. 
and we, we we're not going to keep going off on that but you know he should be releasing themes that make people want to just throw their money at him immediately all right any other news in the pinball world i'm trying to see here ah uh, nope i think that pretty much covers what is going on a few p3s have shipped um houdinis are still backlogged uh alice cooper is ramping up so let's read some of your user feedback all right let's see I got an email from, doo -doo 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 okay, let's do Todd. So Chris, Todd Anderson says, Chris, you are right on a lot of what you say, but you're wrong about Wizard of Oz. I'll agree that Oz doesn't align with this perception that pinball themes need to cater to the edgier culture of our society. But if you've ever had a chance to camp on a Waz in a home environment, I think you, it would change your opinion. You want innovation mechs, a world in her glass like the 90s, it has it. Spinning house with flip down door to reveal the witch crushed by the house. Diverter, multiple interactive magnets, a spinner, an interactive crystal ball with a video screen, two different ball locks, um, one that includes a flying monkey, a saucer hidden behind doors that you bash, he goes on and on. It also has a well-integrated shaker and one of the best light shows, yada, yada, yada. All right. The only feature I dislike on my machine was the red slippers glued to the main flippers, which I replaced. People like to say it's clunky, but it's only clunky because the shots align differently than other games. A little time on the machine and that clunkiness goes away. Oh, did I mention incredible code? Incredible. And it all starts with multiple options on your plunge. Plunge around to the forest and hope to light winged monkey targets. Plunge the rollovers and hope to light to get a multiplier. Short plunge to the upper flipper. All right. A lot of different plunging options here. People can hate on the game for theme. Fine. I'm not a huge Waz film fan either. And tournament players seemingly like to ignore it too. But the game is awesome. It's an evil machine. It's a game that fights back every step of the way. Whether the witch is casting spells or trying to ram the ball down your throat. Play the game in a room without distractions. Turn up the sound and literally transports you. Um, all right. It's total eye candy. Okay. So, Todd Anderson, thank you. You're not the only one who loves Wizard of Oz. Okay. I, I've, I've heard from many people who have it that they love it. I also have heard from many people that they think it's a total clunk fest and they don't like Joe Balser's design on the game. I've played Wizard of Oz many times. I've played it on location. I've played it in home environments. I do think Wizard of Oz is probably one of the most beautiful pinball machines of all time. There, there's no denying it. I mean, I, I do think the artwork on the play field is a little uninspired. I, I do. I don't think it's that, uh, I don't know. It just doesn't do anything for me. I also think Waz's Waz LCD integration is a little all over the place. Like, I don't know what I'm looking at. Like, there's I get, I get that you get used to it, but that's the problem I've always had with Wizard of Oz is pinball machines shouldn't require a manual by which I need to now learn to then enjoy the game. Like they should be pretty self-explanatory what I'm doing and what's going on. And I don't think Wizard of Oz has that. Uh, I, I think that's the problem with The Hobbit as well. Is like, And I, I think that's going to be the problem with Pirates of the Caribbean. I think that's a problem with almost all Jersey Jack games other than Dialed In because Dialed In was Pat Lawler's creation. Dialed In it's pretty easy to understand what to do right away. Like, shoot the guy, then shoot the scoop, and you're in a mode. Like, I get it. These other games, I, I just think it's like I, I, you need a tutorial to learn how to play them. And I think that's why these games um, miss the mark. 
And Wizard of Oz, it, look, look, as beautiful as it is, why would Jack, you know, launch a company with a theme like Wizard of Oz? I mean, that's the whole thing. It, it was a license too. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of weird to me. It, there, there are so many other properties that I think would have been more popular uh, than Wizard of Oz, and I, and again. He sold it for 6500 bucks, so he was losing money on everyone made. But I do agree, man. It is Wizard of Oz has everything in it. I don't think you'll ever see another Jersey Jack game with as much in it as Wizard of Oz because that will always be Jack's statement game. I mean, everything to the, the wood apron, to the screen-printed cabinets, to all the stuff you mentioned, Todd, I, I still think Wizard of Oz, if you can get one for like a good price, is, is a great buy. All right. I got an email from Bill Dodd. Bill said, Canada's Pinball Podcast. Peace out. And then he wrote, motherfuckers, which I said. He said, sitting muted on a Soul Crush conference call. That line made my day. Thank you. Well, I'm glad that I made you laugh, Bill. Thank you for writing in and thank you for listening to the show. I got an email from Matthew Robinson. Matthew, thank you for listening to Canada's Pinball Pad Podcast. Um, he said, very hard at the end of today's podcast while walking at... Wait. He said, okay, so his subject was just laughed out loud. And then he said, very hard at the end of today's podcast while walking outside. You're the best. As a new pinball fan, just want to say I enjoy your pod more than all the others. You make that long wait for my Iron Maiden premium to be delivered a little easier. P.S. I'm the host of a podcast called Get Up On This on the Earwolf Network. We are a general pop culture comedy podcast, but I've talked a lot about pinball in the last few episodes as I'm recently obsessed. Well, Matt Robinson, thank you. Uh, I would probably dial down the pinball talk on your pop culture podcast because you'll probably lose all your listeners because nobody really cares about pinball except for us losers who are on Pinside and listening to shows like this every week. But thank you for listening to the show, Matt. I really appreciate it. Uh, I got an email from Joe Perino. He said, Iron Maiden hype is crazy. He said, so your prediction was right, just got the titles wrong. I I, like you, thought that Star Wars and Guardians of the Galaxy was going to be the, the take over the pinball universe. Star Wars, well, we have talked about it, how the game came up short, and Guardians of the Galaxy is too much like Metallica. But here it is. Stern has an absolute hit. Could you imagine if they did show Iron Maiden at Texas Pinball Festival? Nobody would be talking about Alice Cooper. Speaking of Alice Cooper, oh my God, the callouts are flat. The good thing is they can bring him back and change that. I wonder if that was a product of working with somebody you see as a legend and you're afraid to critique the way they're calling out the script. Love the show. P.S. Stop using Jaws as your example for Stern to charge us $20,000 and make a super LE because I can't afford a $20,000 Jaws pinball machine. Not hating on those that can. I just don't get I don't got it like that. P.P.S. Peace out, motherfuckers. You got me laughing at that one, bro. Man, maybe I should, I should curse more on this show. It seems like you guys like it. Well, Joe, thank you. Um, look, I, I don't think anyone saw Iron Maiden coming. I don't think anyone thought that Iron Maiden would be the juggernaut title that it is. I thought we all predicted Star Wars would be the one that would sell out, right? All the Star Wars LEs would be in demand. And Guardians of the Galaxy, like, yeah, right? No, no. Iron Maiden's the one. Iron Maiden is the game that I think people have been waiting a long time to get from Stern. I'm seeing people say, maybe this is too early to say this, but people are writing this. Not This is not me saying it. That this is the best layout in 20 years. 
That's a, that's a bold statement. This is the best layout since the 90s. Um, so I don't know, man. People wouldn't say that if there wasn't some truth to it. But I also think there's a little bit like people are going a little too crazy, right? I mean, there's not really many toys or anything in Iron Maiden. And so does it just come down to flow and code for people? And I think it comes down to this. I think if you were to break down what makes a pinball machine so much fun, it is a combination of the flow. It is a combination of the music, of the call-outs. I heard the call-outs on Maiden are amazing. I haven't heard them yet. But I think what it comes down to is a pinball machine just needs to be goddamn fun. And it needs to be easy to jump in. And you need to get lost in the experience quickly. And I think the games that do that and do that best uh, are the ones that provide you with one thing. And that thing is this. They provide you with rewarding shots, right? It just it feels rewarding to hit the shots in the game. And that is why when you make a game clunky or too, the shots are too tight and they're bricking back, to me, games that are brickfest are the worst games in my opinion. Never design a game with shots that are just frustratingly bricking back in your face. And that is why I was like, when I played Houdini next to Dialed In, I'm like, this is why one guy is the greatest designer of all time. And this is why the other, you know, the other game is just like, it's, it just doesn't, it just doesn't feel rewarding to hit those shots. It just, I just feel like I got lucky. And I think Iron Maiden is making people feel like the shots are ultra rewarding. All right. So I think that's, that's the case. And yeah, like I think everyone's lucky that Maiden didn't get unveiled at Texas Pinball Festival because I think it would have definitely put a damper on everyone else's ability to create hype from the show. So Joe, thank you for writing in. All right. I got an email from a Matt Rattray. Rattray. Hi, Chris. I haven't written in a while. I'm still really enjoying listening to your podcast. With over 228 episodes, I guess I've spent 9.5 days of my life listening to you. Time-wise, I think that's equivalent to three or four head-to-head -head episodes. <laughs> Love listening to them too. I thought I'd bring up the subject of your idea of a premium pinball. I've tried to work out the feasibility of this I have a few samples below. I believe if a boutique company attempted this, it could work, but from a profit standpoint, I don't think it would be feasible for a major company like Stern to do this. Below is my conclusions. When Twilight Zone, as an example, was released, the product, um, produ they produced 15,235 units. From what I can tell, the sale price was 2,500 bucks. If we use that figure of 60% of the sale price is what it costs to be made um, and develop uh, the machines, I worked out the total sales of Twilight Zone um, were $3,087,500 was the cost to build equals 1 million eight, like 1.8 million roughly in profit. So that's 1.235, not bad for 1995 figures. In today's market, a $25,000 game times 100 machines equals 2.5 million. So the build cost is 60%, means the profit is 1 million. Average stern at the moment is 7,500 times 2,000 machines, which is 15 million. The build cost is 60%, um, and that's $9 million um, profit. Okay, no, so $9 million to make, so profit would be $6 million. 
As you can see, I think the amount of work required would make sense for Stern, though the idea does sound good. Keep up the good work and, um, and keeping us up to date with the latest news. So Matt, thank you. I'm sorry because numbers are really hard. It's hard to talk about numbers and it's easier to see what you're saying here. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Of course, it's easy for Stern to just, you know, make a limited high run game because Stern is also making, uh, you know, the pros. And Stern can corner every aspect of the market if they want to because they have manufacturing down and they can make the game the cheapest. So uh, I would, I do think though that I, I, here's the thing. I'd, I'd think that games. You're saying that a game is pr like 60% of the game goes into the development cost. So you're saying 40% of the game is profit. I think you're way off there, Matt. I, I don't think these companies are making 40% on top of what the manufacturing cost is of the game. In fact, I think these companies are hanging on by razor thin margins. I mean, I think Spooky is probably making like 500 to to $1,000 a game. Not They're not making 40% on each game profit. I, I, I think that number's way off. Uh, my point was this though, for a new, for a new to pinball manufacturer to survive, I do think the high-end, low-run games are the way to go. Uh, and I also don't think these companies have to make these promises of making, you know, a thousand games. Like that's a lot of games to make. You know, American Pinball. You've used them as an example. They have to make like they have to make a lot of games to stay to make profit. And I'm just not sure the, the, the space is there for them to sell a thousand Houdinis while at the same time Jersey Jack is trying to sell you, you know, thousands of Pirates of the Caribbean while at the same time Chicago Gaming Company is trying to sell you thousands of like their remakes while Stern's selling you thousands of four different games a year. I just don't know how you compete with that many options. But we'll see what happens, Matt. I'm still waiting for the day when someone comes out with a high-end game, very low numbers, and it's like a, a bespoke premium pinball experience that is you know that is not trying to compete on a volume level all right all right let's see i got an email from michael Shalis. the subject was pirates at dinner time he said dear canada it is not unusual for me to bring up pinball during our family dinner usually as the way to annoy my 18 year old daughter to put this in perspective i once told my daughter that when i died she would inherit all my pinball machines her response was and those will be the first things i sell with that let me share a snippet of a conversation that went on at dinner me there was a big announcement in pinball that is blowing up and totally upsetting the entire pinball community they are making changes to the pirates of the caribbean pinball machine that i am buying they are taking out the three spinning concentric rings in the middle of the play field and replacing them with one disc that will spin my daughter so they are replacing one spinning thing with another and this has blown up pinball me you'd be surprised daughter pauses and then says that's all kinds of stupid Perhaps the entire pinball world, or sorry, perhaps the entire pinball hobby is a world in her glass. As always, my best to Bubba, Mike. Well, Mike, I agree. The, the second you, you tell anyone outside of this hobby the things we talk about, complain about, their eyes just roll over in their heads. They just don't care. Uh, it, 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 who cares, right? People don't even care about like pinball in general, let alone that a, a spinning disc that was once three is now one. Nobody cares. All right. I got an email from John Ezel. John, thank you for listening to the show. He says, Dear Canada, 
can I say I'm always in agreement with you, but I'm writing you because yours is the only podcast that actually reads interesting mail. Okay, so somebody crunched data from Pinball Map and found that the number one location machine in the U.S. was Ghostbusters Pro. Well, congrats to Stern on this. This means your average casual dork who might want to get into pinball is going to start with one of the least fun, shittiest, and cheapest piece of shit games ever made. You often bitch about dumb themes. Yeah, I agree, but I don't hear much discussion of popular themes having a drawback. Yeah, the art looks okay as far as what passes for pinball art these days, but if I'm a kid and I put $3 in Ghostbusters on location, I don't think I'm ever playing in pinball again it's good thing john trudeau is in jail because i would love to drive to a convention just to unleash my pit bulls on him and have them gobble his face off while i screamed okay who brought the dog over and over again this game has made me want the entire pinball industry to collapse and i fucking love pinball all his like all his like histronic venting aside, do you see any drawbacks to the visibility of Stern vis-a-vis companies that make good shit and are old good shit? All right. Well, John, thank you for the spirited email. First of all, John Trudeau is not in jail yet. I think he's still awaiting his court date. Um, do I think pinball is three? Is pinball three dollars anywhere on location? I I just think I think you'd be disappointed if you put three dollars into any arcade game anywhere. Um, look. I think Ghostbusters is a beautiful game. I think the game looks incredible. I think it is one of Stern's greatest sort of worlds under glass. Marty, I said it. Um, I just think the game's crap fest. It's a turd. Everyone agrees. Um, so look, there's nothing we can do. You know, like I, I can't make a game good. I can't make Stern make every great theme into a great pinball machine. Uh, but Ghostbusters being number one on location, it just doesn't surprise me. If you're a newbie and you walk up to that game and you've got Ghostbusters and you see Slimer, it looks like such a fun game to get into. And then you plunge the ball and it drains down the middle. Immediately it hops over the outlanes and you walk away dejected in like 15 seconds. So yeah, worst game. I think it's. I think Ghostbusters is the the most disappointing game next to Star Wars. I still think Star Wars is far more disappointing because at least Ghostbusters has like awesome like fun toys and I think it brings the world to life better than Star Wars does. I I just I, I, that's that's my two cents. But thank you for writing in. I don't encourage violence on your pit bulls on any pinball designers. Um, but you know what? Such is life. He also wrote another email. Can one of those companies that makes custom shit like a warning sign, warning this pinball machine is opposite of amusement? Okay, John. No, no one's going to make a sign that this game in this arcade sucks. But thank you again. Please do write in though frequently because I, I do like the spirit. All right, I got an email from... Uh, James about alien. We already. I'm gonna read this on the next show. I, I, I'm getting too many emails. We're gonna do. We're gonna run this interview now because I don't like my podcast going too long. Ugh, I feel like I've been nonstop. It's like a half hour. This is like a show in itself. I'm, I'm getting to head-to-head pinball level here. It's <laughs> 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 making the whole thing. <laughs> All right, let's air the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, Scott and Kaneda talking about pinball marketing. Enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome to Kaneda's Pinball Podcast a listener of the show who actually hit me up to talk about pinball marketing, which I know we talk a lot about on this show, and his name is Scott Drager. Scott, did I get your last name correct? Yeah, that's perfect, Kaneda. Thanks. Scott, welcome to the show, and, and thank you again for, for reaching out because I think pinball marketing – 
is something that we are seeing right now today. So many companies uh, either succeed or struggle at marketing their pinball products. Now, what, what makes you interested in marketing? Is this something you do for a living, Scott? Yeah, I work um, product marketing. I'm a VP for uh, software product marketing at a, uh, at a company that does global customer communication software. So I live and breathe marketing. Okay, and pinball, is, is this is a hobby? Is this something that you, you've been into for a long time? Yeah, uh, I'll serve as a bad example for you from your advice, actually. I purchased my first machine in 1998 when I was still at my parents' house. I bought a Guns N' Roses. <laughs> well, I love Guns N' Roses, so that's that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I still have it, so I've been lugging that thing around for four states since you know, for 20 years now. So you have a home-use-only Guns N' Roses pinball machine. It's not a home use only. Um, it had a few years out in the field, but it is an early production, so it has some mistakes on the play field. Doesn't have the GNR logo by the um, by the coma of UK. Okay. Well, we we'll have to geek out about Guns N' Roses at a later date. So you're into pinball. You work in marketing as a professional, and what are your thoughts, Scott? Just on a macro level, as you look at pinball and how these pinball companies market their products. Do, do you ever just find yourself being like, what are they doing? Or, or, or the other side of the coin, because I hear people say, well, you don't really need marketing in pinball because people just buy this stuff regardless. Actually, both sides are true. And both sides can work, but you have to make it a deliberate choice. I think that's what we're not seeing. I think we're seeing a lot of things that just happen. Uh, I see a lot of, kind of un, unrehearsed or unprepared reveals that look like they could have just been planned a little bit better and it wouldn't have taken much more time or effort. Right. And, and Scott, when you, have you been to like some of the pinball shows when these companies actually do reveal their games to the world for the first time? Yeah, I go to Chicago Pinball Expo every year. I'm glad that it's back on and kind of normal for 2018. Right. And so, Scott, at these shows, and, and I, I've sort of harped on this a lot, where you've worked on this product for years, and you're about to show the world your product, and it's like these guys walk in with sort of chicken scratch PowerPoint presentations, and they don't even create like an atmosphere in the room. It, it's very much just like, here's our slideshow of making the game, and then here it is, and, and it's just sort of like... You know, it's like there's no real effort to create any buzz. I see some of that. Uh, my favorite reveal that I ever saw was Pirates of the Caribbean. I liked that one because it was a solid. It was a solid presentation. Eric got up and explained what it looked like, and they had the box there. Now, you and I might might differ uh, from your earned media perspective and my product perspective on whether that was a good idea or not. Um, but I thought that was nice because they got to stream it, it was real, and it wasn't just a picture. Right. I thought that one was pretty amazing. So let's let's talk about Pirates because this is the hot game right now that everyone is talking about. And when I say hot, I mean hot topic. I don't necessarily mean things are heating up over there in the right way. So let's let's break it down um, from a few from a few different angles, Scott. So they revealed this game in October of 2017 right it seems like a really long time ago what do you think of that decision to show that game so early on uh, and we're still not shipping products and it's you know april of, of 2018 
One thing I definitely respect about that plan is they got some demo units out in the field and they learned from it. Right. So I am seeing, and I do respect that they put a they put a product out there to get beat on. I know you had Dave Falgren on the show. Um, I sometimes play at the same level two five seven. Dave helped me get a uh, Apollo thirteen in my basement a couple weeks back. Um, but we go and they had a Pirates of the Caribbean out for a while, and it was nice for us to beat on it. That place also had it dialed in um, for a number of months before it was generally available. And I'm glad that companies like Jersey Jack are putting those out in the field to get beat on so they can look at the reports. Right. So there's the other side of the coin is the stern approach where they don't show you anything until the game's about to go on the line. And for people who get a stern early on, there's none of that, you know, in the field testing that goes on. So that is a good thing. But but let's talk about duration, right? Because I feel like when they reveal dialed in, they then put it out in different bars and, and, and locations out there in the world, and they uncovered some things, like certain sections needed to be mylard, a cliffy here, a cliffy there. But look what's happened to pirates. Like, Let's talk about that. So they put it out in the field, and now it looks like some of the major mechanisms in the game have to be altered in a way that people are perceiving as for the worse. Now, what, what have you been following... Scott, what's been going on with with Pirates of the Caribbean? Oh yeah, I, I have been following that. When I see pizza call or people calling it the pizza spinner, um, now my wife is not super supportive of the pinball hobby. Um, she'll go out sometimes with me, and we'll go some places. But she really liked playing pirates because of the chaos around the around the spinner. Right. Because I think she felt that was like an equalizer. Her other favorite is Batman sixty six. By the way. Oh, nice. Um, She's got good taste. <laughs> yeah. But watching that Pirates ball, I'm I'm not a great player. Um, I do the tournament every once in a while over at um, level fifty, level 257. But there's top 100 players there, so I, I never do very well. But they don't like that machine. Right. That one always, it's too chaotic for a lot of the tournament players. Uh, I'm okay because I'm not used to long ball times. I don't feel bad about it. Uh, I just like watching it because where is it going to go? Because with three spinning discs, that's five times the ball changes direction in less than eight inches. And I think that's exciting. Yeah, there's the, the, the randomness is fun for everyone who's not a tournament player because we know that these guys like to predict and, and know where the ball is going to land. And, 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 and they, they, they hate the chaos. Every time I talk to tournament players about stuff like that, they don't like it. Um, but... For everyone else out there, and I think the Jersey Jack buyer is probably more of your collector and enthusiast and not so much of like your tournament player, because I never really see tournament players saying they really want to you know, ha- have a Jersey Jack game be in the tournament. Um, so now that that's gone, Scott, and he's replaced it, and Eric had to replace it with a single spinning disc, which we saw more of that today, and that's that's it. Like That's the, the final version of the game. Do you think that decision, from a marketing standpoint, is going to make it really hard for these guys to get the hype back that they had when they revealed this game at, at Expo to all that fanfare? All right, Canada, this, one's going to, this one hurts me um, because I've done this before where I've had a software feature that we've talked about that for a reason of cost or licensing had to be pulled from a release. that was, And it was a little bit different than what we originally thought usually very minor and those I take very personally because I'm, I'm from the product side. So you're from the earned media side where something comes out the back end 
on the product side, everybody strives to deliver the right thing on time. Um, on that one, I thought that was one of the major features of the game. I thought that was amazing. Uh, I am a Jersey Jack buyer. I have a um, home use only uh, Wizard of Oz 75th anniversary edition, and I, I love it. So I'm, I'm a wide body guy. Right. Uh, but I, I love that they have uh, a lot of extra technology. I like games with more than two flippers. Right. Well, a lot so, of people hate that, though. Right, but Scott, like, but let's get back to the question, because like, yeah. but do you think, like, obviously it's going to hurt. I mean, do you think it's how bad do you think it's going to hurt him? Because obviously, when we, when we read on Pinside, right, and I know there's a little bit of like the skies falling mentality sweeping across the the pinball forums right now over this news. How bad do you think it's going to hurt him? Because I I don't think it's even a question of like nobody wants to ever remove a feature people really liked, yeah. right? The chest is no big deal. The disc is probably a big deal. Um, I, I was not on the list for a Pirates. Uh, I think this will mesh with one of the other topics I hope we get to about non-refundable deposits. Oh, we're going to talk um, about that. Don't worry. <laughs> but uh, but on the uh, on the disc, I think that was a big miss. I wasn't I wasn't ready to buy Pirates. Um, I'm also a I'm also a sucker. I'm on the uh, I'm on the uh, Lebowski list. Um, Did you pay for your Lebowski? Um, I got my refund back oh, a while lucky. ago. A lucky I'm, man. I'm not proud about the way I did it, but you know, I, you know, oh yeah, I owed Yap an apology, but I and I gave it to him last year at Expo, uh, but I did get my deposit back. So wait, 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 Scott, you can't introduce a story like this. We're going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. So what did you have to do to get your refund that you're not proud of? Oh, I I asked for it back um, well before I believe they went into production, mm-hmm. and uh, of my 8,500 that I paid. Um, I got offered back that we'll just give you eight because we're already in production. And then a couple weeks later, I was still on the email list. I received a uh, marketing communication says, hey, here's some testing. So I said, what? I emailed back. I said, wait a second. Um, I believe that it was in production, but then we're clearly seeing testing videos. That doesn't sound like production for me. Give me my 500 bucks back. Right. And that I thought that was a fair position. We had some disagreements on that over a, a long period of time. I wound up. Oh, so they ba- they basically said to you, you've you've got to lose five hundred, almost like a little like that's the non-refundable portion. If we're in production, you lose that because right. And then they really weren't in production. Okay, I I get it. So, so you had, did, I didn't did, see it in production. That was three years ago. Right. Um, so every well, you know there I guess you know the word production. And if you put one word in front of that, ramping or maybe ramping up to production always seems to be where all these companies are in a, a sort of like a frozen state in, in how they communicate where things are at. So you did you end up getting all of your 8500 back? Yeah, I did. Uh, I did. Um, but now now I'm on the list. I'm going to pay 10 for the machine if they can get one to if they can get a box to my house, I'll pay the 10. It's a great um, game. And I think yeah. you you will probably get your game if they figure it out far in front of the early achievers who are still waiting because they're yeah. going to take new money now. Yeah. I was not nice. I was not nice about getting that back. And I did apologize to Yop over there at the, uh, at the expo and we had a good game and we talked about it and I think we're okay. And I believe they're going to, I believe they're going to get the games out. Well, let me ask uh, you a, qu- what, a question, Scott, because when you went in on big Lebowski, right? W- yeah. The agreement between you, Barry and Yop was that, deposits were refundable or were not refundable were refundable in completion up till the time of production 
and then you would lose 500 or no know? there was no there was no terms like that it was okay. just it was until production so like, i i'm almost like my point is i feel so bad for people like you who have to feel bad about fighting to get your money back because they failed to deliver what they promise within the time frame but I'm glad you're out. All I'm saying is be very careful with that $10,000. Hopefully you have it with Cointaker and it's with a, a distributor. I hope, you know, I hope you're not in on – did you give it to them or Cointaker? No, I'm just on the list at Cointaker. Oh, I, see, okay. I, I stock them all the time. I, 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 come on, I, wanna, I wanna put something on there because I wanna, I wanna make it real. Right. Uh, okay, yeah, that's I, good. I want these guys to win. I think everyone's learned that lesson that the only place in which you should have your money tied up is with a distributor. And, and just a quick side note for, for the listeners of the show, um, I want to actually give a real great shout out to uh, Joe Newhart at Pinball Star. I had a $1,000 deposit down for Pirates of the Caribbean Collector's Edition. Um, I hit him up today and I said, I just would like a refund. I, I, I'm just not as interested in the game um, anymore. I'm going to put that money towards the Iron Maiden LE that I'm getting or getting then selling we'll see what i do with it uh and joe refunded my money within an hour not even it was like within 20 minutes of sending him a text so i just want to give him a shout out that's how it should be um maybe we can talk a little bit about refundability since we're on the topic now and then we can go back to some other things scott so we we are seeing spooky pinball do a marketing strategy around your money is non-refundable now what do you feel about that because nobody else really has an initial deposit that is not refundable at any point. I think it's a great idea. Um, for who? I think, for them or for the for the buyer? I think it's a great idea for everybody. Okay. It makes Let's sure that the it. buyer it makes sure the buyer is interested in the machine, which helps the uh, manufacturer accurately forecast production needs, and it helps them if they do order some parts to. You know, at least at least understand that the buyers do have an intent, a non-refundable where somebody can wait until the last second and pull out. Um, you know, especially once production begins, I, I don't think it's fair. And I think a lot of people flip um, flip the pinball machines, which that's cool if you can do it. But it's kind of like ticket scalpers. Ticket scalping has kind of gone away because it got corporate. Right. Well, and and I I think the point you're making and the way you're looking at it. It's kind of fair in the sense that, because I go back and forth on this, where I, I, it's great for Charlie and company because they, they're not going to get screwed by people bailing at the 11th hour after they've ordered parts for that person's specific game. The other part that it's going against, and this is new for pinball, right? It is really attacking the fear of missing out. I need to like just buy it now without even knowing I want it, without ever playing it. It's really forcing to call those people's bluffs that you you can't really do that with our product. You better know you want it. And when you're in, you're in. And if you want to get out, it's not going to be as simple. And so I could see how that will actually try to create new behaviors from pinball buyers, that they need to be patient and make sure they want it. Yeah, not a full payment up front, like a decent hefty, bigger than 250 somewhere in the $1,000 range seems like a very fair deposit. I really like the Dutch pinball model of you got an early achiever edition and it was you got something special. It looks like some of the some of the rumors and the threads say that everybody 
can get a rug now, but that was initially an early achiever. You got a badge and a rug. Um, you know what? You know what? Like most that. people got got nothing. <laughs> they didn't get a rug. They didn't get a game. They got nothing. I, I do think the early achiever model was great. And look, it seems like many many years ago, Scott, where sort of spicing up the offer was needed because these companies required pre-order dollars to actually get off the ground and, and I think we've seen you know that frequently fail now as, as the only financing a company has to make pinball machines so you think the non-refundable is good do you think other companies out there Scott are gonna watch what Spooky's doing and, and adopt that sort of model yeah I, I love that model I would like to see uh, I know a lot of Iron Maiden fans out there uh, one of my friends is going to grab one of those machines uh, i think he's getting the premium because all the le's are unobtainium except for you, you know. hey it's for uh, sale if he, yeah. if he wants it let's deal 12k right now buy it now so, <laughs> so if you take that like, i think all the people are doing some individually brilliant things uh, but nobody's put everything together yet jersey jacks dialed in limited editions that's uh, or the collectors that said you could get these until uh, was it uh, december 31st Right. So they they set their LEs, uh, they set their their more limited premiums on a certain timer, whereas Stern did a, another good thing by setting the limited editions at 500, 250 for Europe, 250 for uh, the Americas. But I really liked the Jersey Jack model. Probably would have made Stern a little bit more money, but I don't need to tell Gary Stern how to make money. He knows he's, he's been doing it for longer than I've been alive. The problem I have with Jack's uh, approach is this: it it wasn't real. You know what I'm saying? If like if you're gonna market something, we're only gonna make as many dialed in collectors edition orders um, that come in, you know, by New Year's Eve. Okay, and that's all we're gonna make. And you and you're gonna pay twelve thousand five hundred, and you might have a really rare game. And then they're like, we're making one fifty. So you're telling me that exactly one hundred and fifty. Orders, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. the number needed to be like not at, not so clearly like a made up number. And, and but here's when you look at the marketing between Stern and Jersey Jack, it's interesting because Stern's model is you know roughly four to eight hundred LEs of a title depending on popularity of the title, right? Then unlimited premiums, and then pro. Now Jersey Jack is kind of trying to follow that model. But I think the issue is he's charging way too much for the collector's edition. It doesn't have enough to warrant that much more over the limited because the limited is already the creme de la creme of what you need in in Jack's games. So I, I think he's leaving money on the table. And I also think he struggles because of the themes he has. Let's talk about themes, Scott, because I think that's interesting. Why do you think Iron Maiden as a theme sold out sight unseen 500 of them like as as a marketing move clearly they did something amazingly well yeah, iron maiden has an amazing visual brand that transcends music it might not be to kiss levels but if you're outside of the united states it's similar in scope that that is a that is a brand that has a visual identity that goes far beyond just the band's music they got a ton of classic albums um I could definitely see that one selling out instantly. I bet they could have sold 1,500 limiteds if they did the um, 
up until a certain day model and people could have taken a look at it. Right. Now, do you think... So the thing is, is though with Iron Maiden, it didn't... People knew that was the next theme, right? It wasn't sold out until people saw Keith Elwin's design as well with it. And it, I think that's the difference between Maiden and Ghostbusters and Batman. Those two titles, they were all spoken for but before people saw anything. Mm-hmm. Iron Maiden took about three hours after it was actually revealed because I think people realized, wow, it's going to have all this and the layout's amazing and the theme is something um, that is also like very popular. Now, Jersey Jack, let's go back to them. Do you think Jack's big issue, like why can't Jack get a game from a marketing standpoint that creates a frenzy where it like the limited expensive versions sell out immediately? Do you think he's just not landing on the right themes for his machines? I think there might be a time a time stretch in there because I've been on the, the Stern factory tour and you can see what, what a place that knocks out 50 games a day does. Um, and I've seen some of the pictures of the other places. Jack's got a great factory, but it's not a 50 machines a day factory. So they have to wait, and you want to send out full crates, and it takes you know it takes Stern four hours to fill up a shipping crate with pinball machines. Right, but 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 if we look at it through the lens, Scott, of just like theme alone, right? Like mm-hmm. why Jack has never had a game that you ever hear the words it's sold out, like yeah. ever, and Stern has hit or miss on on themes that sell out sight unseen. But if you look at the themes, Wizard of Oz, Hobbit, Pirates of the Caribbean, and Dialed In, right? Any of those. Do you think any of those have the, like, oh, my God, I, I just need to own this machine. Like, I don't even need to see it. Like, take my money now. From a theme level, no. But I'll tell you what, the machine in my house that gets the most play is the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, it's a great, it, and, and that I yeah. think that is still Jack's best-selling game, right, to date. I mean, I don't know the numbers, but it seems like they're still actually making Wizard of Oz, aren't they? Oh, yeah, and, and that's just because he's crammed, like, he crammed amazing technology in there. I think he raised the bar for the industry, so I'm super glad that he has machines coming out. Uh, I think he unfairly gets beat on dialed in for the comic book. People say, oh, you have to... you have to read a comic book to understand what the theme is. No, it's not. You hit the electric guy and start a mode. But the comic book was, he was doing something extra, and I thought I thought a lot of the people on Pinside and a lot of the discussions kind of penalized him for doing something extra and kind of building up something around it. And I, I thought that was a little bit dis- disappointing to see people pile on that, where I thought it was a cool movie. He's like, hey, he had a comic book as a advertising device. I know people who pitch um, film scripts who do the same thing. They make the, a graphic novel version instead of a script treatment because it builds up their pitch a little more. I thought right. it was cool. Right. And, yeah, I mean, I, I love Jersey Jack Pinball, and I, I, I think he does bring such a higher level of pinball manufacturing to the table. But I do think, like, marketing is his weakest point. And, I, and, I, and I, the, what I mean by that, Scott, is it, the, I think sometimes when we talk about marketing, I think people mistake marketing being the moment by which you bring a game to market, right? And there is that element of it, but that is the very tail end of of marketing. The first thing you do is market research. Like what themes will sell and create that frenzy with pinball enthusiasts? So that's market research. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what market research makes you land on 
The Hobbit makes you land on Wizard of Oz, makes you land on, you know, especially makes you land on Pirates of the Caribbean, which is a movie franchise that has been pretty irrelevant, even within mainstream culture, for the past few years. Now, maybe he had to get that just to get Disney on board for some future titles, but I think the problems start there. And then what you then have to do is you have to work twice as hard if you're trying to market Pirates of the Caribbean in 2018 versus marketing Iron Maiden, which is an evergreen band that's got, you know, 100 million fans around the world. And it's kind of timeless as a theme because they're just a classic act. Same thing with Batman 66, right? How, not, not really the most present day relevant show, but Batman as a property and that, and the fan base of pinball grew up with the show. No brainer as to why people are like, take my money now on a $15,000 Stern, which probably cost Jack half as much money to make as his machines. So do you think toys, so do you think pirates is going to be, where do you think it falls? Like in his, in his portfolio, do you think this is going to outsell Dialed In or Waz or Hobbit? I think Dialed In is going to sell pretty well. Uh, Hobbit, I probably, I, I don't see that one as his top-selling title. Wizard of Oz, because I had a several-year head start, and I, I think that's an amazing theme. Um, it's a surprising one, but I think I remember uh, listening to some podcasts where discussed that the license really came from a slot machine license. There was also had language that allowed it to be used for other things, which a pinball machine fell into the category. So that one kind of looks like fell into fell into an opportunity to make Wizard of Oz, which happens to be a good th- uh, pinball theme. But I think we're, you know, if I don't want to get into anybody's head because I don't know anybody at Jersey Jack. I'm not personal personal friends with anybody. Um, I met I met him a few times. Uh, did a podcast with him one time for a work related thing. But if you look at Hobbit and you look at Pirates of the Caribbean, those are derivative. Both of those are derivative of previously done themes. You have Lord of the Rings, which is an amazing game, and you have Pirates of the Caribbean, which is a, a great stern game. I put my high score in one two weeks ago in uh, uh, Delavan, Wisconsin. Um, but in 2015 to 2018, those were themes that were already used. Right. And they, so it and, seems and like they there came out. They came out at the height of the popularity. I mean, I kind of feel bad for Jack on The Hobbit because The Hobbit is probably one of those where you're like, we can't, this is like, we can't lose, you know? The Lord of the Rings is so popular. Peter Jackson's going to be directing it. It's kind of, it's the same way that Pinball 2000 was banking on Phantom Menace and Star Wars coming back, right? I mean, what could go wrong? Everyone loves this franchise, and then the movies themselves are really underwhelming, which leads people to not want to really own something based on, on, on a mediocre film. Um, yeah, you can't beat up Hobbit for, you know, at the time they made the business decision, all bets would have said that that was a, that all, all parties would have said that was a safe bet based on the information available at the time. Yeah. Nobody thought a two hour movie about Hobbits and dwarves eating breakfast was going to work. Right. Yeah. You know? Well, let's talk about like, hype and marketing like hyping these machines because i know with hobbit we heard a lot about it's going to have the most interactive dragon ever in a pinball machine and i think people's managing people's expectations scott in this hobby 
it, it's it's kind of important, right, that you don't want to overpromise and then underdeliver. And I think that's what's happening with the concentric ring issue with pirates. Um, but how do you think these companies, you know, how long do you think the hype window lasts in, in the pinball hobby? That's very closely related to your view on non-refundable deposits, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, but I think you know, you're marketing. You like you want, a... you want to hit, you want to reveal something in a time period in which the most amount of people are going to want to buy it. Yeah, without backing out. So you have basically, in in pinball world, I think you have six months max before, but between when you announce something and between it better you announce it, it better be in people's unboxing feeds on YouTube. Right. Twippy better have uh, put something together on it. Yeah. So six months, which is. I would even argue that I would say like that's even like it's that's long, right? And I, here's the thing, right? Is is I give you three to six. That that makes sense. Yeah, and you I can think, have a little bit of time. Batman was a little bit long because I remember seeing that and just drooling over it at um, Chicago Pinball Expo when it was not playable. I was like, why? Why did you bring it? I just feel. Right. They, I, they, I want to play this. It looks awesome. Yeah, they shipped it to people in December, even though it wasn't really working. Even when they shipped it, and I think that's what's hard, right? Is if if you're a company in pinball, uh, you're you're competing in the marketplace that is dictated by Stern. Right? I mean, Stern has probably ninety percent plus of the market, and if Stern can reveal a machine when hype is hot, take orders when hype is hot, and get people the machines when hype is hot, uh, and hopefully deliver those machines with pretty finished code and and the you know the experience is satisfactory. It's really hard to compete against a company that can do that, and then you want to go, you know, then someone else thinks they have six months to keep the hype going. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that, you know, the more Stern shrinks that window, uh, the harder and harder it becomes, I think, for companies like Jersey Jack and other companies out there uh, to make people wait a long time. Because yeah, they're amazing. Stern has the brute force. They got the videos of the production line. That's amazing. Sometimes when I think about the industry, I think about parallels to the industry I'm in where there's different competitors that do different types of things. Um, I definitely see the pinball industry. Stern is a shark, and a lot of the other ones are kind of those fish that that, that clean up the shark. Without the shark, they would all die. Yeah, no, I mean, they're they're all hanging on. I mean, Stern is definitely carrying the entire industry on its back and like a shark i feel like at any moment they could decide to get rid of anyone else in the industry and if they really wanted to they could i don't i don't think that they they'll do that i don't think they're like mean-spirited and i do think they feel that it is good to have some competition because it brings more people into pinball um but i also feel like they they probably feel like they don't really have any competition when it comes to uh you know they they don't. I mean, I are there many industries, Scott, where like one player has ninety percent of the market? I mean, I, none of none of the clients I represent, and I work with all Fortune five hundred companies. No, no one's even close to that much. Yeah, you have to get to um, military budgets for the world before you find anything similar. Where like the U.S. spends you know, as much as the nine nine uh, next countries in line for military spending. That's how strong Stern is in the pinball industry. Well, it would it would probably be considered like a monopoly, right, <laughs> by the government, if any company had that much market share in any industry. Um, let's do this, Scott. This would be fun. So, let's go down the list of manufacturers and let's each of us 
give one piece of marketing advice that we would give to that manufacturer in 2018. Sure. How's that sound? All right. Let's start. Let's start from the bottom up because we'll get to Stern. Let's start with Deep Root Pinball. What marketing advice would you give Deep Root Pinball? Change your damn logo. <laughs> I know people are saying that, right? It kind of looks like, I, I mean, people have said some really crude things. Um, the logo itself, right? It's just this, yeah. it looks like, a, people are saying like a butt plug and all sorts of <laughs> different things, but... Yeah, it's just confusing. But if I had to give them like a legitimate piece of business advice, uh, I, I like a lot of the themes. I like a lot of the J-Pop's work when he's in a, a supervised environment and held held accountable for a full production uh, run of something. He's done some amazing things. Um, I just I was at somebody's house and saw them restoring a, a Tales of the Arabian Nights. It's beautiful stuff. Um, just make sure the stuff comes out quick. Don't leave us hanging on that. Otherwise, we'll think it's more of the same. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think the natural thing people expect when you give marketing advice to Deep Root is to, like, drop J-pop. He's toxic. But I actually no. do think that J-pop makes games that will sell. I, I My marketing advice would be to just don't show us anything until it's production ready. I, I, I just don't think these guys are, are going to like win people over with like, you know, here's three, four games. And now it's going to take forever to get them into production. I think when we get the five days of deep root at next year's TPF, um, I would, I would expect those things to be ready for production. And if I were yeah. to cheat and do a second piece of advice for them, it'd just be like, just don't try and take on Stern. It's just, that's just, to me, that seems like lunacy to go from nothing to competing with someone who has 90% of the market share. But that's me. All right, let's go on to American Pinball. Scott, what advice would you give American Pinball? I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be afraid of you dissing Oktoberfest. <laughs> so your marketing advice would be to make Oktoberfest? Um, this is a little bit different a different thing. I think some of the boutiques could make multiple themes for the same machine. I think that's a way that some of them could get to a scale. Instead of doing LEs that require a certain design every time, they could make a pretty cool design and theme it and skin it a couple different ways. You could have it Oktoberfest. You could retheme it for sports bars, tiki bars. You could do a bunch of different themes off of one design because the big sunk cost is the initial design. Right. I know you were talking about that with um, uh, Iron Maiden being the archer design. Yeah, that was that was a big advantage that brought Stern a lot of speed over there. Right. I think original themes are a good idea. So I would tell American Pinball, stick with the original themes. All right. I'm going to give a, a contrarian bit of advice. And I think original themes for boutique startup pinball companies are almost like a one-way ticket to bankruptcy and I actually think you should pick a theme that people are familiar with and would go bonkers for and so here's what I would do if I were them I would pick a theme that everyone knows about would be really awesome to translate to pinball it's not a because Houdini's not even original right to begin with neither is Oktoberfest these are like mm -hmm. their they're, original theme is like dialed in right Quantum City is fictional it doesn't exist I would make if I were them I would make King Kong pinball I would remake, I would make, not remake, I would make a new version of King Kong based on the K 
King Kong franchise everybody loves. I would do it in the art style, like the old King Kong with the old movie poster, and like kind of like Art Deco-ish, and I would make that game a million times before I would make Oktoberfest. So that's that's my bit of marketing advice. And then I would also make sure Joe Balser doesn't make the shots so goddamn tight where people are frustrated versus having fun. I could uh, I could get on board with some licensing if they understand what they're getting into. So if they get good legal advice, if they invest as much in the legal advice as they do on the Whitewood, I just don't want to see some of the boutiques get uh, pulled under water by some very tough license negotiators on the other side. Because they're never going to outlaw your Hasbro or some of the big theme owners. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I, and I think, you know, we're seeing this with Pirates of the Caribbean, right? It's if you go after a franchise where there's so many restrictions on what you can do with the machine, uh, you know, I think it makes it really hard to translate that theme into a pinball experience that, that, is, that people are going to love. I, I, I think the bar has been raised too high with games that have great theme integration that you don't want to like have your hands tied um, if you're a, a pinball manufacturer. All right, so what, what marketing advice would you give to Dutch Pinball? I'd like to see a little bit more information because the threads and pin side are mostly speculation. Uh, if they order some parts, I just I'd like to see it. I really want a game as fast as as fast as I can, and I would I would participate in anything as a as a sponsor, future owner, to get that thing made in made and brought to market as quick as possible. I don't know exactly what that means, but I think they have a, a user base or a client base that's willing to you know, either pay up or do something to participate to make things happen faster. Yeah, I mean, I, I still consider the Big Lebowski to be one of the coolest pinball machines since I've even started following this hobby, which is like three, maybe four years ago. Uh, I, I love that game. Every time I stand over it, I, I, I still it still pains me that it's 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 been sort of crucified in such a bad way because of all these bad business decisions. My marketing advice to Dutch Pinball would be to fall on your sword settle things with ARA and charge $12,000 for the game because you know what? When I look at the Big Lebowski, I think it's worth every penny of what a collector's edition Jersey Jack game is and every penny of what a Stern Super LE is. And I think that game is really special. Lower play field, upper play field, a rug that rolls out. I mean, it has the toys, it has the flow, it has the shots. It has so much in it, and it's such a high-end premium machine. And I, and I just think they they got stuck thinking they needed to charge what they promised people instead of making ARA and them work it out. And that, that would be my advice. It's wishful about, thinking. It's a bonus because I, I love it. It's my favorite 90s game. Um, what about allowing them to ship some version, or what about doing a version without the lower play field for a little less? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think I think what would happen, Scott, is exactly what we're seeing with Pirates right now. Once you see how cool it could be, I think it'd be really hard to accept it in in a, in a different form and and also because that bowling alley is so freaking cool it's like it is when you're not even playing the game it's like one of the, i think that is the coolest i would say that is the coolest toy or mech that that has come out in the last like 10 years i mean maybe ever i mean you could argue that is the coolest lower playfield ever i mean it really is um and it's gorgeous i mean it's absolutely gorgeous all right, let's go on to Chicago Gaming and PPS. What marketing advice would you give these guys? 
I think I would give them something different than you. I think they did something brilliant from a business perspective. Now, me as a me as a player and watching some of my friends in the market, I might disagree, but from a business marketing perspective, I think they did the absolute right thing about announcing the next themes they would do in a vague order with a long list because they absolutely own the right to do that to the market. And I, I understand what it does to the used machine's values, but I think they did a brilliant move by saying any of these could come out at any time because they're owning that piece of the market. They, yeah, they paid I mean, money to do it. Well, they froze they froze the value of all those machines, and all that money now will go to them regardless of when they make those titles. I think it was genius. It's like they bought mineral rights to the top ten titles of the retro catalog. Right. So you like that move? I like that move too. I might have, you know, I might have just said it kind of sucks for people who own those machines, but I like it from their vantage point. What what marketing advice would you give these guys right now? Um, I like festival releases. I know one of my friends was super excited to see one at Texas Pinball Festival, um, and he was disappointed that they didn't announce. But if they have a good reason not to announce, it's probably better than having to. Um, uh, Temper manage expectations later on in the event that you do have a licensing issue or a Mac that couldn't be reproduced for some legal reason, whether it's a license holder reason or a patent reason. I'm just uh, speculating here. But any sort of reason, you have to have that uh, pretty set in stone before you show it to the world. Yeah, no, I, I think that's good marketing advice. I think people are really bummed out. And there's like this big question mark of when we're going to see the next title. I mean, TPF seems like a really long time ago, and we're, there's still nothing on the horizon. They probably should have got the word out before Iron Maiden. But I, my marketing advice for them, because I love what they've done with the toppers and the new LCD, I think they've made they've remade these games but made the right kind of improvements that make these games pop like nothing else. My marketing advice for them would be to revisit or re, you know, recreate new amazing artwork that takes these games to an even higher level of visual awesomeness. They did it with the screen. They've done it with the toppers. But imagine when you look at you know, the art on the cabinet of Monster Bash, it's very, like, mediocre. Imagine if they got, like, a zombie level, a zombie Yeti level artist to make, like, hand-drawn, like, incredible artwork and even, like, revisit the playfield art because the game would still play the same. It would just look much better. So that would be my advice. They can make, like, almost, like, 2.0 version of the game you love with with new art. Um all right, let's see. The next one, Multimorphic P3, Scott. What, what can you do for them as a marketer? That's a tough one. I would probably I would probably put 10 or 20 machines on location if I was them. I would invest in getting them out somewhere so people could play them to generate demand because it's, it's one of those things, if it takes too long to explain, that's a problem. But if you can get them out where people can have an opportunity to try them and love them, that's not at a festival, they might have a better chance. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, the obvious marketing advice is always like, get a theme that, like, people love and shows off the platform. Uh, but what I would say, my marketing advice for them, because where I think this platform really shines and is the real differentiator is in head-to-head -head play. I love it when they connect the machines at different shows. I think there is so much fun there that is hard to explain. It's like competitive pinball, and it's it's amazing. It's like sort of like what I love about 90s fighting games is I can play against someone at the same time. 
I think what Jerry needs to do is figure out a way so who, for people who buy P3, they can play over the internet against other P3 owners. I think he needs to make this the first connected pinball experience um, because then it sort of wakes the game up in a way that no other pinball machine uh, you know, does. Send so, some to Pinberg. Yeah. Send four or five machines to Pinberg and get them out there, get some people looking at them that are some of the more serious players because I think people look at it and they don't understand how it's going to play. Right, right. All right, marketing advice for the most successful pinball company of all time, Highway Pinball. Um, I went, <laughs> I went on location. I went on location to Pin Bar in Calgary a couple weeks back. Um, I was there for work, and one of the reasons I went is because it said they had a TNA and it said they had an Alien, and I wanted to play the Alien machine. And I went there and I talked to the owner. And the alien machine was gone within the first week of it opening because it was mechanical issues. Right. So lots of issues with the game. Yeah, you can't you can't release it unless it's not mechanically perfect in a social age where people are doing unboxing. Any flaw that's scalable is going to percolate to the top of the boards on pin side, which is going to make it hard for you. So double check it, measure twice, cut once. Right. My marketing advice for this company is really simple. It's I would scrap all of the uh, all of Andrew Highway's, you know, modular kit system popping in and out. Like I don't like the way the cabinet looks. I don't like the way the back box looks. I would put their game inside a standard normal cabinet. Let the artwork fill the entire thing and I would drop his name from the company and call it something else and make game number two wait sorry game number three um look like a normal pinball machine in a lineup and get rid of all the stuff that just has made this thing a quality control nightmare um so that's what i would do if i were them all right let's go to spooky pinball and what marketing advice we would give them i love the deposit i love the production runs of 50 if i have to give them some advice Get another Denisi machine. Right. And you release that from a marketing standpoint. Do they wait till the run is up on Alex Cooper, Scott? Or would you release that sort of midway through the life cycle of Alex Cooper production? I think they'll do I think they'll do 500 Alex Coopers, no problem. So I would probably announce it a little bit later. Uh, I, every once in a while, I, you know, I, I try and pitch for some new technology. And I think maybe Spooky might look at it. I like how you talk about your playfield protector on your Batman SLE. Why aren't we just starting to make plastic and carbon fiber playfields? They can be cut. Carbon fiber is not all that expensive compared to normal pinball machine parts. It's not the wood that's expensive. It's the printing process. If you move to a plastic or carbon fiber, the printing and curing process becomes very easy. It's just normal kind of paint materials. I'd like to see them experiment with some cool things like that. Right, right. I'm trying to think of like, and I, I agree, man. I mean, look, I, I think it's silly that we're still manufacturing pinball machines in a way that leads to so many issues with play fields. If you look at like from a marketing standpoint, right, you would you would look at what are customers complaining about and how can we innovate to solve those issues. And probably the number one thing that we see the most complaints around is issues with wood play fields. Easily. Yeah. 
chipping, ghosting, all that stuff. It's all like an archaic way to create a flat surface in which a ball can roll over it. Uh, um, so for Spooky, I think my marketing advice for these guys, uh, you know, it's like on one level, I want to say like I would hire a designer. I, I would really try. I, I think they need to get, you know, d- different designers on board. Uh, I think the other marketing thing I would do for them is maybe change the logo. I, I, I just, for something about that ghost on it, it, I just feel like, I don't know. It It's sort of, they're like, but I, I kind of am on the fence because sp- when you market your company as Spooky Pinball, it's like, are you only going to make sort of horror themes? You know, I'm always like, I, I just when I see it on like Jetsons or TNA, it just feels off that there's like this ghost on something that's not in that theme. So I, I'm just not sure. Like maybe, Sp- maybe they create a, a different division within Spooky that's not called Spooky Pinball, so that it I don't know. It just seems weird to me. I think uh, that's I think they might be too small. That might be too expensive or yeah. confusing. But yeah, they know, do you, love the horror themes, and they're doing a great job with those. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's their passion, and, and and I get it. It's like, you know, there's like film directors who only make horror movies, and, and I get why they're taking that approach. All right, what advice would we give the Jersey Jack pinball? Yeah, this, is, this, is, this is a tough one because there's a lot of, there's a lot of things they're really awesome at, and it's... It's like they're close. They're really close. And that that's one of the difficulties. I would say pick a theme that's kind of outside. I'm very much looking forward to Toy Story. I'm not as I'm not as connected as you, so I don't see any pictures or anything. But I would like to see some cool things with Toy Story because I think they could pull that off. But they got to get the mechs right. Um, in the short term, I would probably say just do what you could to get that Pirates mech back in there. It can be perfected. I think they're that good. They could do it. Um, my one small advice is on the, uh, on the super limited or the collector's edition of toy story. You know, you've got your Batman call out on your SLE for Batman. I want to see the limited editions of toy story, get Andy painted on the bottom of the cabinet. Right. But the owner's name on the super That's limited cool. collectors. That's really cool. You know, we haven't even talked about that, right? Those little details. Jack owns that. It's beautiful. Right. The little details like Adam West is going to, personally call out your name those little things and i think we overlook this a lot right the little details that make people feel like they're getting a personal touch can make the difference between someone saying i don't want something that everyone else has versus i'm going to have something that's uniquely mine and and it doesn't always have to be expensive right to get that unique touch and i think that's a that, that's just like across the the entire pinball hobby, Scott, I think that is something that all these companies need to look at more is how can I make this game something that, um, you know, these collectors would, would, would buy because of that and never let go because of that. Well, you're uh, a concert guy, right? You like, you like yeah. to go out and see some music. I love concerts. Um, anytime, like I went to Metallica last summer and we just got a regular, regular tickets. It was a great time. But we walked through all the line of people who are going through an extra experience where they may have paid $200 to over $1,000 to have some sort of interaction with the band. Now, that's not part of the value. If you did that with pinball machines, like something that was special for the original owner, 
that does make it harder to resell, which is something that's cool for the collectors, or they got some special event, but it has to be really cool, and they could charge a ton more money for some of that. Right, right. I don't know if Tom Hanks is going to shake your hand if you buy Toy Story, but um, something that's really special would be pretty interesting. Right. Outside of the pinside or pinball community, because right. you look at the pinball community, we're a bunch of nerds. Absolutely, like, absolutely. You could you could sell to the other. 298 million people that live in this country and the other, you know, almost 7 billion in the world if you did something more experiential that got the theme out better. Right. Definitely. I think my marketing advice for Jack is to hire a a marketing VP because I, I think he needs someone there to ink the right theme deals because everything else they're doing is right. I mean, they they are like... They're making the premium pinball experience come true. They're making the modern-day Bally Williams game. Uh, but I just – I think he has – he needs more marketing help. And I also think Jack needs to lose the aversion to making games that appeal to the grown-up men. I, 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 he's got this family-friendly fen- approach. Every game has to be this family-friendly theme. And I, I really think he needs to realize – you know, that's not your target. Like, your target is a little bit more R-rated sort of adult male. And and I think he's trying to make pinball that appeals to everybody. And in doing so, he's managed to come out with themes that aren't really driving the pinball buyer, you know, crazy the way Stern is doing it with, you know, with Maiden and, and, and other themes like that. So that's my advice. Um, all right, let's end up with Stern Pinball, the the big guys who ought, probably don't need much marketing advice, Scott, because they have like 90 plus percent on the market. But if we were to get an audience with Gary Stern or George Gomez, what would we tell them is something they should consider? I would probably ask for two simple things. Um, one, maybe experiment with some new technology or offer offer playfield protectors. Some things like that, because one of the big issues people complain about is the dimpling, which dimpling and ghosting, which I think is dumb that people complain about because it is a high velocity metal ball hitting wood. In the rock, paper, scissors world, pinball beats wood every time. So do something to fix that. And the second one is, okay, there's a little bit of a challenge from the design and complexity of some of the, the boutique vendors. I just want to see some more games with more than two flippers iron maiden yep get four i want to see more of it right right ditch the button you know the the, the middle the button on the lockdown oh, bar god that thing everyone Trade needs, that for a third flipper i hate like talk about like i hate it in pirates the way it's like you're slapping that thing like all day long i i, I don't get it i don't get it um my marketing advice to gary stern and george gomez is very simple it would be to make more super LEs and I would I would corner the high end market if I were them because they can do it like nobody else. And my and the way I would do it is I would offer exclusive coding and programming to those super LE machines. The second you make the experience of those super limited edition games different than the premium or LE version of the game, you could charge so much more and people would pay 
because why do we always like glorify Tron LE as being worth ten thousand, eleven thousand, twelve thousand dollars? It's only because the code is different. That's it. Nothing else. And coding is is not that expensive where you couldn't get imagine if Lyman put, you know, a special like villain modes into all the SLEs, people would lose their minds. They would be like, this is why it's worth what it is. So that's what I would do. I would use code as a way to create unique experiences um, for super limited edition owners. And I think you could sell those games for heck 15 to 20,000, depending on how many you made. And I know I people, love my, I love my Avengers LE machine. I know that that game gets a lot of heat, doesn't get a lot of love on the, the threads, but I've, I picked that one because I really like the LE. It has an extra ramp on it. It's got that cool arrow that goes across. There's a lot of extra dimension to the game, and I felt like that is a different game, so I thought that was worth more than the standard edition. So I, I like to see that the games are different. Right. Um, well, the, you the, get what the, you pay for. Stern Stern is genius. The, the LE premium model that they have is genius. It's genius because the LE is like for the diehard has to have it like guy who really values that sort of exclusivity and he really is not getting anything really exclusive from a gameplay standpoint right and and then they sell the premium to the guy who wants the same gameplay experience but doesn't care so much about all the visual and cosmetic bells and whistles and so they're making money off the, twice off the same game without any gameplay enhancements. Genius. I, I, I think they, they they will never change that model. I, I don't think you can come up with a better model for pinball. When, when pinball companies, Scott, come out, like American Pinball, and they're like, well, we're not going to do any LEs or premiums or pros, and they start bragging about how that's good, I always shake my head because I'm like, you fool, you just left a ton of money on the table. You just, they just did. Because if they had a limited edition of Houdini that was even more dressed up, that's the one that the guys who want the different kind of experience would buy. Mm -hmm. they, they're leaving money on the table. And they think they're doing it for like the good of pinball, but they're actually hurting themselves because they don't understand that human beings, like we, th like collectors, collect humans in a collectible hobby, they're driven by having something different than the other guy. They want the rarity. They want the exclusivity. Not the tournament players. They think those people are, are idiots. I had an interesting day. Um, it must have been almost a year ago. I was looking at. I was considering a Wotanelli machines, and I, I didn't play one. So I took I took your advice and said I want to play the machine before I start. I go buy one, and I looked up on Pinside. I found a Pinsider who had one in his home collection. I reached out to him and I said I was considering buying one of these. Would it be possible for me to come and play? And he brought me in, and he had a beautiful collection over in uh, suburban Chicago. And I got to play the game, and I didn't like it. But it was he was a guy that had limited editions of everything. It was a beautiful home. He had a beautiful collection. And those people that who, who will pay more for limited edition make it possible for a lot of other players to get something at all. So I don't think – I think some of the, the pro players may diss the, um, the SLE – market but the sle market is funding some of their games absolutely i mean it's 
look, they, I love so many of my friends who are like tournament players because they're they're never in on like new inbox purchases yet they're so vocal on like pin side every time a new inbox thing is revealed and it's like you guys don't even care like you just care about like how to exploit the code in a tournament and like multipliers like the that's not what a home collector who's into like uh, you know, a Jersey Jack machine is about. I, I mean, some some of them are, but that's the minority. The majority of people want an amazing theme, beautiful artwork, and that world under glass and magical stuff happening in the pinball machine uh, that, that just brings them enjoyment. They're not there to, like, set 5 billion point scores. That's not the reason why they own pinball machines. It's just not. Um, well, Scott, I really appreciate you coming on the show because we're Can at we the- do one more? What, what, yeah, what am I missing? Or what topic? I have, more, I have more Zen pinball machines than anything else. Oh, you do. And because I travel a lot for my job, so I have um, Pinball Arcade and Zen Pinball on the on the iPad. So I goof around on those sometimes when you, you know, we take off and landing. So I play a lot of those machines. They can get a lot of machines to market very quickly. And they don't seem to have some of the theme issues. There's a Jaws, there's an E.T., there's a new Back to the Future. They just released two Star Wars tables this week for Last Jedi. And why do you think Zen Pinball, like, they look amazing. Like, the theme integration in those things is incredible. Compared to, like, fire behind the ball on Back to the Future. You got smoke, you got crazy stuff in, in Rome. Those are some pretty amazing themes, and I love, I love playing those games. Why can they get the licensing together that some of the the physical manufacturers can't? I understand it's licensed as a video game, which is a different legal category and different approval process. But, man, they're cranking out themes, and I don't know how many other people are buying them. But every time I see a new table, I pop my $299, $399 for it. I think you know that really hurt Alien Pinball when, on Alien Day, the Zen Pinball came out and had like Sigourney Weaver in it. The artwork was incredible, all the assets they got. And then Andrew Highway is like, well, this is all we could get for their physical machine. And it was just kind of like a like a wham-wham moment where it's like, why can't the artwork be at least as good in the physical machine as in the digital machine? I, I don't understand the excuse for that. Um, but, no, Zen Pinball is cool. I mean, and, and the other thing is it's so much cheaper uh, than than. than plunking down five to fifteen thousand dollars on a on a big wooden box uh well scott thank you so much for joining i really appreciate it we'll have to do this again Uh, i i think your take on pinball and marketing is 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 really some good insight and i I think that people that listen to the show they do appreciate that we do sort of look at pinball through the marketing lens and i think you know both of us doing it professionally it's nice to sort of combine our professional, hopefully, expertise with our, our pinball passion. Yeah, and I just want to thank the manufacturer for doing it. So even though sometimes we bust on them, they're doing a great job. They're making games for us most of the time. Some are, not all. Yeah, some are. <laughs> well, you can leave it to me to, like, you know, kick them between the, the legs when they're, when they're effing up because I have love and, love and hate for the pinball manufacturers out there. I love the ones who get people what they pay for, and I, have not, I loathe the ones that have given people years of pain and suffering. And we all know who's who in, 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 within those two camps. So I will keep it honest and I'll keep it fair. Um, but you know, we will never just universally love all pinball manufacturers on this show. And I think that's, that's probably why people listen to this show. That's why I listen. 
All right. Awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Enjoy your time in Orlando. Enjoy the warm weather, hopefully, and we'll, we'll talk to you real soon. All right. Thanks, Kanita. All right. Yeah.